1: And good evening to you, Pastor Mike Douglas. Here, welcome to you wherever you may be. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the International Podcasting Network. Great to have you with us, and uh, a special night tonight. You know, we Elaine. I was just thinking today as I was driving in at, at zero dark thirty today, <laughs> <know clears> which throat> is throat> always throat> a, a dangerous proposition. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking. You know, there there are some people uh, when you think of them, a word or one or two words mm-hmm. immediately pops into your mind uh mr owl our prayer intercessor over here the inimitable mr owl uh you think of, i mean even you think of loyalty you know yes. if you're in a mm-hmm. foxhole you're in a battle mm-hmm. al's the guy you want watching Indeed, your back yes. you know um we think of you elaine i think Uh-oh. of compassion you know the angel of mercy here at abc which is why they have you answering the phones <laughs> and not me and um But you know, I was saying our our guest tonight, Dr. Michael Wright, Mm -hmm. uh, a friend and uh, a colleague and and a brother in Christ. And Michael, when when I um, think of you, the word that (laughs) Michael's getting worried now. (laughs) Yeah, I am worried. That worries me really (laughs) bad. (laughs) But but when I think of the the word relation, relational or Mm -hmm. relationships, pops to mind. The the relationship that we have to God. The relationship that we have to each other, the relationship between people groups, the relationship uh, within the body of Christ, um, at least when I think of that's what God pops into my head, is, mm-hmm. is the way he has gifted you uh, with, with unwrapping what relationship is all about. And uh, we're going to unwrap that some more yes. in just a little bit. Right now, though, before we get to uh, Dr. Michael Wright, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs.
2: What will people be when they Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with news about another Real Life Jesus Freak. In the past few years, Ray Thorne has gone from Michigan street pastor to freelance missionary with Voice of the Martyrs, linking up with underground churches in places like Pakistan, Sudan, and Afghanistan. Ray's first-hand witness to the abominable persecution of Christians worldwide gives him some insight to complacency of church in America. Ray said, if we Christians don't continue to share the gospel and push the envelope, the envelope will close in on us. If we maintain a silent witness, there will be no witness and Christianity will die in America. We've been warned. For more stories from the Voice of the
0: Martyrs, go online to persecution.com. And Fear God, not man.
1: Back with you here on Lighthouse Live. Mike Douglas with you along with our producer and co-host Elaine Harlan and, of course, our Cecil, the inimitable Mr. Owl Al Ramsey. Our special guest tonight, Michael Wright, and we'll be talking to him in just a few minutes. Just a reminder, friends, again, uh, Brad Dacus, the Pacific Justice Institute, they'll be out here on February 12th uh, from 10 to 1 p.m., and uh, that'll be a wonderful time. We'll get an update on the legal aspects of what it means to be in ministry today in the 21st century uh, in America. And uh, there's some things we need to watch out for. There's some legal protections we need to uh work through. It's just all part of the business side of what we do. And especially if you're concerned with uh, church administration or nonprofit administration, a business administrator, senior pastor, uh, perhaps the chairman of an elder board or the deacons, uh, this is something that you want to come to. It is free and uh, they even provide uh, a nice lunch Ooh, that for our you. Uh, yeah, that. all the pastors immediately <laughs> took note on that one right yep. there. And again, that's coming up on uh, February 12th, Brad Dacus, Pacific Justice Institute. Remember, you can contact them at 1 uh, 888 nine one two nine that's one triple eight three zero five nine one two nine or their excellent website is www.pacificjustice.org pacificjustice.org and we'll be right back with lighthouse live right after this award-winning speaker and author of 26 books including bestseller bad girls of the bible liz curtis higgs is coming to modesto
2: now i have so much compassion for Eve. You know, she didn't have Ten Commandments to follow, though. She just had the one commandment. And it was a diet.
1: For women who long to let go of guilt and embrace freedom, seven community churches have joined together to bring Liz Curtis Higgs to Shelter Cove Community Church Saturday, October 6th. Tickets at Beardsley's Book and Bible in Modesto and
3: Family Bible in Turlock.
2: I love this! This is the second funniest one-liner in the Bible. It is! It is! The first being when Aaron says to Moses, I don't know, I threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf.
1: Embrace Grace with Liz Curtis Higgs, Saturday, October 6th at Shelter Cove Community Church in Modesto. For more information, call 567-3200, extension 339.
2: Do not tell me there is no
0: humor in the Bible. Okay,
1: how do you follow that? You don't. Let's segue right. By the way, friends, just a reminder, if you're listening live to us uh, tonight, remember we have our uh, little online study for a half hour from 7 uh, to 7.30 p.m. tonight, looking at Rick Alcorn's, uh, Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. Mm -hmm. Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven, and we're going to be in chapter five. And kind of unwrapping, what it, uh, what is the intermediate heaven? What in the world is he talking about? Where do we go when we die? What about this final judgment? And uh, a lot of those interesting questions coming up again. That's 7 p.m. Pacific time here on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network.
0: Let's take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way opportunity to serve the American Red Cross Stanislaw Chapter. Volunteers need to stand up and be counted in this year's elections, and we're needed to work the voter voter registration polls uh, Tuesday, November 6th, as part of the Stanislaus County Elections Office adopt-a-poll program. Uh, Shifts are available at locations in Modesto, Oakdale, Patterson, and Turlock. Spanish-speaking volunteers are also needed. Mandatory training, though, uh, for the elections is required. Your participation will help raise critically needed funds. Uh, They were in the paper this weekend, if you got a chance to Mm -hmm. read the article. And Rebecca was here with us last uh, week and had a chance to tell us about some of the uh, services that they provide there. The SAFE fund helps locally uh, here in three ways, ensures that your local families... uh, where individuals have food, lodging, and clothing after house fires or floods and provides emergency communication. She told us a little bit about that. So if you're interested in helping out uh, your Stanislaw uh, chapter of the Red Cross, you might want to think about helping out there. Series Partnership for Healthy Children, uh, getting ready to hold the 10th Annual Family Resource Fun Fest, and that's coming up on Saturday, October 20. Uh, 20th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Whitmore Park in Ceres. And uh, volunteers are needed to assist with setup, cleanup, decorations, balloons, uh, refreshment stands, games, bounce houses, and face painting for the kids and lots more. Uh, again, flexible shifts are available between 8 and 4. Volunteers ages 14 uh, years and up. And uh, we are encouraging uh, our if volunteers. If I volunteer,
1: can I go in the bounce house? Absolutely. I think that would that be a sight to see and lots that of is, fun. That is Yes, well, it absolutely. Is a, not a sight you want to see, but well, it is I think fun. It
0: would be I a think. fun, uh, right. a fun event to get involved, and in. we're encouraging our ABC volunteers, Pastor Mike, to get involved. And Amen. Uh, so we we'll hope that you would turn out for that. And uh, you know how we are always uh, encouraging our um, ABC volunteers in the visitation of nursing facilities. Well, the pet outreach program of SPCA invites friendly pets and their humans to visit seniors in convalescent uh, hospitals and care facilities throughout. Can I
1: bring my goat? Oh,
0: please do. Both of them. Patrick and Freddie. yes.
1: Well, they kind of freak out Oh, that, that would be, so know.
0: wouldn't that be great? It would be
1: entertaining. <laughs> it
0: would yeah. be. Volunteers to accompany their pets as they, I can just see it now, <laughs> to socialize.
1: Maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Only if you go with them. you trying to get through I'm that? I'm trying to get okay. to something here. To best. socialize with residents uh, and facilities through Throughout the community, Uh, during these visits, animals are often successful in increasing communication and decreasing anxiety and in cutting through the barriers that isolate people. And these visits are made on the first and second Saturday mornings. And if you have any further questions, uh, and you can contact our friend Barbara Borba. She'd be happy to hear from you. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113, again, 209-524. 241307, extension 113, or you can always phone us here. We're, we're great. Uh, glad to hear from you at 544-9571. Again, five four four nine five seven one. 9571. And we have lots of opportunities for you to help out. Don't forget about the big picnic coming
1: up. That's right. Coming up on September 27th, that's Thursday. Uh, anybody related to AVC volunteers, uh, if you've been served by AVC, if you're one of our over 90 partner agencies uh, to bless the city, we'd love for you to drop by. It'll be kind of a, a picnic type thing. We're going to have ribs there. Uh, and, uh, more food. <laughs> more food, that's right. And uh, also we'll be growing some hamburgers and hot dogs. And I know, Elaine, those are your favorite, those little hot dog guys.
0: Vegetarian,
2: yes, yeah. Do uh, but
1: anyway, we'll have, for those of you carnivores, we'll have some good stuff there. And we'll also have some leafy things, <laughs> we'll too, some, for yeah, we'll those, those who are not. And uh, again, that's at Downey Park. That's just north of Downey High School on Coffee Road uh, near Brighton and uh, actually just a couple blocks up from our uh, AV Office here. Uh, it is from four thirty to seven in the uh, evening, and again, it's a drop-in thing. We'll have a brief recognition program around five thirty. We'd love for you to drop by. Just come by and say hi. Enjoy some ribs or hamburgers, hot dogs, whatever is your fancy there or leafy things. and uh, <laughs> I don't know. We
0: may We're, even have a bounce house for Pastor Mike. Yeah. never know.
1: <laughs> or, or Pastor Mike may get bounced. I don't, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But anyway, we'd love for you to come again. That's, uh, Thursday, <laughs> that's Thursday, September 27th from 4.30 to 7 p.m. And again, if you'd like more information on that, please give Elaine a call at 209-544-9571.
0: And you know, we mentioned that our guest this week is... Is well loved and highly thought of, and comes highly recommended far and wide. And we're just so pleased to have Dr. Michael Wright with us. And and we want to thank you, uh, Dr. Michael Wright, for being with us this week. And I just uh, you know thinking about you sent us some of your uh, well not a, really a resume because you're not applying with anything, but kind of a bio and some information. You and I were chatting uh, when you got here today, and uh, a little bit about your background and your experience. What uh, how did God purpose this? Uh, career and this kind of path uh, in your life to begin with.
3: Well, um, Elaine, thank you and Mike for letting me be here this afternoon. It's a real pleasure. Um, I came to Turlock in 1976 out of what you would refer to a very successful ministry in Hayward and um, did not understand what God was doing by bringing me to this city of uh, at that time, I think it may be thirty thousand. Wow! Huh. Yeah, and uh, it was like jumping off a train moving ninety-five <laughs> miles an hour into a wall of jello. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a nice visual. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, here I was, a, a pastor in a metropolitan area, uh, seeing a number of people come to Christ that, from all kinds of backgrounds, mm-hmm. and it was that that environment that drove me to pursue a doctorate in psychology and to sharpen my uh, relational skills. But then when I came to Turlock, it was like uh, on the backside of the desert, you know, and uh, spitting up dust. (laughs) And, uh, you know, what we, we come from dust, and we're going to dust. And I didn't know if I was coming or going. <laughs> but, but not that soon, right? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry? Not that soon. <laughs> not that soon. No. No. But uh, God was developing a work in our life um, mm. in this area of reconciliation that has become a very important aspect of our ministry. I pastor a very small little church of about 30 or 40 folks and a facility for the developmentally disabled and a third of our membership are developmentally disabled. Uh, we have known uh, Christian Berets for years, worked with him, so a third of us are like that, and the rest of us are very mental <laughs> we really have real problems. but God has launched out of that little fellowship a ministry that's literally global in nature, which mm. is just amazing to me mm. we've We 've worked in p- places like um, Coventry England um, in uh, Seoul, Korea, uh, Holland, um, Cape Town, South Africa, Johannesburg, South wow. Africa, and then all through the States. It's just, it's been amazing. Um, Henry uh, Blackaby asked one time, what is it that you're doing or your church is doing that cannot be explained unless God does it? Mm-hmm. And I you know, I've just live in that awe of that, of that grace uh, that I still don't understand. I just have to just follow it around, you know, Mm -hmm. and see God at work. But the work that uh, that basically has been so phenomenal is the work in which I'm co-director of, and that is reconciliation networks of our world.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, Michael, as as we look at our society, uh, so many families blown apart, so many husbands and wives at odds with each other, parents at odds with their children. Uh, parts of the body at odds with each other, this whole issue of reconciliation you know and we 're told by paul that we 've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and yet uh, the relationships are so strained and, and and so at odds with each other in our world today uh, what when 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 God began to reveal to you that this was going to be your baby to roll with what did you struggle with that at all, or did you just say, hey, right on, I'm I'm
3: I'm headed down this path. Oh, like any good Baptist, I raised Cain. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, a part of my doctorate work has been in church growth. And uh so I with Peter Wagner and oh, yeah, men of sure. such caliber. And here I am a church growth consultant for my denomination and for Fuller Seminary. And uh that was not the direction God was leading me into. Mm. Mm. And uh, Bill, God spoke to me through Bill Cosby in that tape called himself, the video. Yes. I'm not sure if you ever seen that. Oh, but yeah, it, one absolutely. Of his, yes. He yes. talks about the birth of his first daughter when he looked over the shoulder of Johnny Bench, you know. And the baby was born, <laughs> and he kissed his wife on the cheek, and he says, Congratulations, honey, you just gave birth to live lizard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then he asked the doctor, Can you put it back? You know? Because it ain't finished. You know, I mean, and I, I was in prayer with a Pentecostal <laughs> pastor and the Lord says, Michael, I've been doing holy work in your little church mm-hmm. and you've been calling it live lizard. Mm-hmm. And I'm broke. I really realized that God had called us in our church on the kind of the backside of the desert to be to live in obscurity, to minister in reconciliation. And the thing that I really began to realize, Michael, is that um, evil and the vision is going to be here all the time. Mm. Uh, you know, like when the, when the exiles came back uh, from Babylon, you know, they the Lord did not remove uh, the mixed multitude that was there in Samaria and Judea. They had to live out that life among that mixed multitude. And the very first thing they did is establish an altar. The very first thing and the word in in the hebrew is it was a flinty stone and god provided the resource for the stone but they had to do the work of the altar Mm -hmm. and to and so that was the thing that god called me to is to die to my agendas about being a church growth pastor about being quote known Mm -hmm. being quote successful i I, i'm i have a real dear friend named rick warren uh, who happens to be the pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in the world and our church and Rick's church was born almost in the same month, mm-hmm. you know, and how I'm running 40 and he's running thousands. And the Lord just said, uh, that's not my call. That's right. You know, I'm calling you to obscurity, to work in in relationship with people.
1: There's a um, there's a surrender there that, that is really a double edged sword. Uh, on the one hand, you look <laughs> at what might have been in the flesh, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, there's there's something about being at peace with being where right where God wants you to be, and that that can be a really
3: cool place to be, can it? Uh, Michael, that's that's what is so amazing to me is as I <clears throat> as I walk in that grace and that peace. It's 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 like um, moving in a flowing river. You know, it just it just it's just there, mm. and so many things happen. That are god-ordained that i just i stand in awe mm. um of how god works uh, just in that area i i remember where uh, he really spoke to my heart about ministry not obscurity with a pastor that uh you and i know and most of us in modesto know that was called in a, a moral dilemma and fell and he said, Michael, I've called you to obscurity not because you would be given to moral issues but because uh, your gift of mercy mm. has a weak side to it of being, being, being able to compromise when you shouldn't be compromising. Mm. And that's the moment I really broke, Michael, and moved into this place where just kind of this synchronicity with God. Mm. It's just amazing. I, 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 I still understand it. I, I, you know, it's just overwhelming to me.
0: And Michael, each of us, would you agree, have a responsibility, do we not, in the area of reconciliation? The Apostle Paul reminds us that we're called to a ministry of, of reconciliation. And in the body of Christ, uh, it seems to me that, that we have that responsibility.
3: You know, what, what I've come to realize is that that realization for me has come out of community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is I've, I've had to identify within myself the wolf which john vanney uh who established this international ministry to profoundly disabled adults talked about the wolf within you know and uh years ago there was a, a cartoon in which um one of the cartoon characters says i met the enemy and me, the enemy is me mm-hmm. and what i what i had to understand is i had to, i had to have a place that was very safe to engage that that in me and once i was able to engage that in me and walk in the forgiveness that god has extended there then reconciliation was not an issue i mean it was it was very natural does that, does that make sense because I believe that how how people change, how they become reconciled within themselves and God and others is to to be able to be safe enough to recognize the degree to which they've been forgiven, yes. because it's that degree of and realize forgiveness that I'm going to live out reconciliation naturally. And, you know, it's not a program. It just it comes.
1: But that that takes us integrating our faith into everyday life and not compartmentalizing so that you know we leave the god thing on sunday or whenever oh, sure. it is and, exactly. but that, that 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 requires for for uh, some of us a pretty big step and and then integrating that into our everyday life and you know there's this idea of surrender you know keeps coming up we really do have to surrender to christ and really adopt a a a a, a, a holistic if you if you will, not in the new age sense, oh, right. but uh, a holistic sense of of what it means to allow um, the the love of Christ and that sense of of his sacrifice for us to permeate everything that we do during the week and in in today 's culture that 's kind of hard to do, even if you set your mind to it what What are some of the ways michael that that you 've encouraged people to to make that integration possible to to adopt that 24-7 w- biblical worldview how do, how do we pe- how do we help people do that in today's world
3: well i can michael i can only give you where i've come from the first thing i had to realize is as a pastor that i was no more holy or no more called mm. than anyone else around me amen and to live that out authentically that's right you know to 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 radically call so-called lay people, men and women, into realization that they they are just as called uh, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week as I am. But to live that out radically means that I have to give up my preferences, and I believe it's the preferential issue for pastors or anyone that, that my preferences or or my agendas that I that you have to die to literally come to a place. You talk about surrender. The word I use is death because you have to die to 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 your agendas, Mm -hmm. to your preferences. Mm -hmm. And and so I don't know where that came from. But early in my ministry, it became very, uh, very obvious to me that that the key was to live out as a pastor, um, recognizing and respecting uh, people. I, I don't want to be offensive here, but I I feel a part of my job is to be a pooper scooper. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because people making mistakes, you know, yeah. and 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 say it's not a mistake; it's just one way of not learn uh, not doing it, you know, and just throwing them out there and helping them swim and be with them, you know, and they're going to sure. scream, rant, rave, and all kind of stuff. But that that that's number one. Number two is to commit co- to create an environment of what I call community, hmm. in which which people lose their hard edges where they feel safe enough yes. to let go yes. of their preferences, of their defense mechanisms and are very honest with each other and very open. And, now, the, and what happens out of that is that uh, people began to have a sense of their uniqueness, of their of their God calledness. It, it happens very spontaneously. It's uh, we have a, 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 a gentleman in our church who's an attorney who works with of all things uh, divorces and with bankruptcies, mm. and he had to work through that whole issue, but basically he sees himself as a pastor to these people who are profoundly hurting now, I did not lay that on him that that came from him working with our community and realizing that call mm. because he he could be honest enough about his frailties, about his shame, about his failures about his inadequacies and as he was able to do that it began to surface that god had really placed in his life this call to shepherd these people through these very terrible tragic places
1: i think uh, michael you you mentioned that word authenticity again and and uh, as as we've studied the younger generations coming up and in the emerging church whatever you call it uh lots of labels but there there's a a thirst for authenticity for for really standing in the light and uh, I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. Josh McDowell was out here a couple of uh, months ago and and said that you know um, in in our baby boomer age you know we grew up and if something um worked uh it worked because it was true you know if if it's true it's going to work before a lot of young people coming up they kind of have 180 degrees uh, uh away from that in terms of their philosophy and that is we're going to wait to see if it works and if it works then it's true if it doesn't work then it's not true and so you you have almost this situational uh ethics uh thing going on and a lot of a lot of young people today are really as they look at the church they are longing to see the biblical lifestyle lived out in a very real and authentic way with all the warts and all the, you mentioned the pooper scooper stuff <laughs> there. Uh, it, it's really important, I think, that that uh, we as, as church leaders be vulnerable, vulnerable create those uh, atmospheres of safety, and be very, very
3: authentic and transparent today. Um, we have a I guess you would call it a Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. And there are people in that class that talk about their sexual addictions, Mm -hmm. that talk about their failures, their anger. I've had people get up and leave the class enraged, say, we're not going to come back. And they'll be back next Sunday, you know, and because of people being able to be authentic. And, you know, there's not a conscious thing that, quote, I model out authenticity, you know, that's it, – it's something that that community demands of me. Mm, mm. Now, it's, now account, I, 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 again, I don't want to uh, I, I offend anyone, but accountability groups are saying, you know, where did you sin? You know, they're always looking over your shoulder.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But the major experience of for me of accountability is living in an authentic community that demands from me authenticity. And they're not looking over my shoulder. It, right. I mean, you know, you know, my daughter called our church a velvet-covered brick, mm. you know, because it really looks soft on the outside. But you once you get involved with it, you're going to have to put up or shut up mm. in a sense of being authentic mm-hmm. because you can't sit there and listen to some of these stories, which is to me the heart of the gospel, is, the yeah. story, uh, is, you know, some of these stories – and some of these people talking about uh, their anger, their addictions, you know, their failures, what it, their doubts, you know. Uh and then when that happens, I I I've got to stand in that same place, you know. There're Sundays when I say, you know, I don't want to be here. I you know, I'm I, you know, and I'm out of culture and mad, whatever it is, you know, and and um I, I talk about my own failures. And my struggles with with uh, with with sin in my life. You know? And but that comes from living in this community that very spontaneously lives that authenticity.
0: Well you know, and I think that's that's what you said, they're looking and they're watching that authenticity. Those people like your friend, they're watching his life and like your daughter. And like the people who are watching that velvet soft brick, they want to see what's real. And our young people coming up today, they're watching, and they know what's real, and they can see it, can't they? They know what's real.
1: Well, I, I think they can see the, the contradictions. You know, the, they know when something's wrong, even, even if they don't know exactly what's happening. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just like when, when, when you're out there and you're dealing with an addict on the street. He or she knows if if you're giving him a bunch of baloney or not. You know what? I, I mean, they're they're out there in the trenches. Mm-hmm. They absolutely know if if you're real or or you're faking it because they are professional deceivers and they can recognize one, you know, in in a nanosecond and so exactly. you know, so I think it's very important that we do that. A- after the break, Michael uh God has just given you an incredible entree to the international community in in terms of uh, this issue of reconciliation. We'll want to talk about that.
0: Jeremy Camp speaks of uh, a personal sort of reconciliation that takes place with God in his song, Take Me Back, on Lighthouse Live.
2: The reason why I stand, the answer lies in you. Me strong, though my praise was few. When I fall, I bring Your name down, but I have found in You a heart that bleeds forgiveness, replacing all these thoughts. taking can me
0: Live along with Pastor Mike Elaine and our special guest, Dr. Michael Wright. And it's great to be with you, and it's great to have Dr. Michael Wright with us this week as we think about reconciliation and just thinking about that song. And God always takes us back and reconciled us to himself, and that's where it all began. And we think about that reconciliation, and it was his idea in the first place, wasn't it, Dr. Michael?
3: Elaine, that, that leads me into a... a a passage I want to read because it's to me the very heart of what God is up to in our lives. And this is from the message is Colossians. It speaks to the Lord Jesus. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone. And here's this is this to me is profound. So spacious is he so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in Him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms, got properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony all because of His death, His blood poured down from the cross. That to me is the essence of what reconciliation is. It is all the broken pieces and dislocated Dislocated pieces are being brought back together. Mm.
1: Michael, how has uh, God uh, used your skill set on the international? It's fascinating to me how he's, he's taken. Give us a, a few stories from, okay. uh, from overseas.
3: Um, as I said before, I'm a co director for a, a ministry called Reconciliation Networks of Our World, which bases its concept in John 17 May they be one as we are. One, and it has to do with the body of Christ. Uh, we began this ministry that was that was basically um, following the ministry of a gentleman named Michael Cassidy uh, from African Enterprises in South Africa in 1992. When, when President Clinton was told that apartheid is in place, it will never change. That was February, and in April of 1992, there was a document signed to end apartheid, mm. and the linchpin to that, there were many factors, but the linchpin with that was Michael Cassidy taking leaders on what they call green weekends, and they listened to each other's stories. Now, they weren't the the, the top echelon leader, but second-level leaders, from communists to, to uh, birchites, and they would just go out... Uh, where they couldn't get away, and they would have to tell their stories. And uh, so what we do is that we create a venue for storytelling. Mm. Uh, We're not issue-oriented, and we started in Coventry, England, and we went to Louisville. From Louisville, we've gone to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. From Atlanta, Georgia, we've been in Baltimore, and then we've been back to Louisville, and we're going to be back in Louisville next year. But, for example, uh, story-driven means that uh, one of the ladies that we bring in to tell her story uh, is a lady that lived uh, in the genocide of Rwanda. Mm. She watched her husband, her daughter, uh, her three sons slaughtered. Mm. And seven years after that, she had in her home the men who killed her family, wow. yeah. and she talks about the journey of reconciliation with those men. Um, there is story after story of 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 women, for example, from uh, one of the churches going to a, to a a uh, fortress of men who would come out at night and raid and rape mm-hmm. villagers. And they came to tell them that they were forgiven. Mm. And it changed the entire system of of what was going on uh, there. Uh, so what we do is that we set these venues up for people to come and just talk about their journeys. In Louisville, for example, um, the gentleman who was the public relations director for Margaret Thatcher uh, his name was is Thomas, uh, and he was in Brighton when the Brighton bomber set off the bomb that blew him three stories up, and then he crashed four stories down. Um, he's a huge man. He's six foot six, weighs probably 260 pounds. Wow. And it took about two hours to get him free. Well, as, as he was with us, he's one of our leaders. He would... Um, uh, he would open up some of the sessions. He sometimes directed the sessions. But in Louisville, he realized that he had to to talk to the gentleman, the Brighton bomber, and ask and, and forgive him. And so he flew over to Ireland, and he was imprisoned in the prison in Northern Ireland and began this journey of reconciliation. Well, when he got out of prison, the, the guy... Um, Forsook his his commitment to radical change Mm. and became he got a Ph.D. while in prison. So uh, uh, Brother Thomas brought him out to his home in England and he was sitting around his family and he just broke down, started crying Mm. and he said, uh, he said, I could have killed you. And. This gentleman's second daughter got up, walked around the table, put her hand on his shoulder, and said to this guy, he said, if you were to kill my dad, I would not be here.
1: Mm. Wow.
3: So it's those kind of stories that mm. we hear. And what happens out of those stories is that people are, you know, go home thinking about their own issues. Um, as a matter of fact, in Louisville in 1997, after we left the black pastors, Hispanic pastors, and white pastors got together for what they call the Reconciliation, the Louisville Reconciliation um, Center. And what they did is that about eight months after we left, there was a killing of a young teenage, black teenager, by a white cop. And the Louisville Courier came out the next day and said, if it had not been for these pastors going into those communities, there's been a bloodbath, wow. mm-hmm. so we're we've seen real implications of what these story-driven uh, 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 lives about reconciliation do and uh, with for folks. Mm.
1: So the dynamic is that as people hear the other person's story, they become less of a political entity, less of an adversary,
3: and more of a person. Right, And again, that goes back time and time again. You'll hear the same thing about how the person in this whole journey of reconciliation had to deal with the wolf within first. Mm. If we don't deal with that, reconciliation is a mute. It can be a program, but it's not reality.
1: You know, what? one of the problems with that process is we have to give up proving we're right at some point in there, don't we? Even if we are. Uh, it,
3: well, yeah, I think I think that's a salient point. Michael is that, you know, I, <laughs> I I've been with people that uh, a gentleman in Coventry who <clears throat> was a so-called liberal. He said he didn't believe the Bible was inerrant. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. He didn't believe in the little second coming of Christ. And I cut my teeth on that moder- that theology. But he said, he said, but. If a person is going to go to heaven, they have to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. (laughs) (laughs) He's my brother. Uh, First John chapter four says, you know, if a person confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is Lord, he's my brother. So so I don't I don't have any I don't have any division with this guy because because of fact, I don't have to prove I'm right. That's not the point. Mm. You know that. I think that's what gets in our way is that we're so insecure about a relationship to Jesus Christ that being right is better than being well. Mm. Wow.
1: Being right is better than being well in our minds sometimes. Oh, yeah, I see that all the time. Isn't that something, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Michael, uh, and and I'll let you, uh, our listeners know that we had the privilege of of having Michael join us as our uh, facilitator. Um, at the prayer summit, you know, we we go away every January for three and a half, almost four days mm-hmm. uh, to the mountains where our cell phones pretty much don't work, which is probably a good, a good thing. thing isn't it? Yes. <laughs> With right? No computers, no, no televisions, and and uh, we get our, together and and get on our knees and and uh, seek the Lord and, and relax into His presence. And, and uh, Michael, I, I think w- one of the neat things was the way that. Uh, you helped us just relax and allow God to minister to us in that first day, day and a half, with no agenda. You know, God God didn't have, we didn't have to check off a thing that this is what we learned today. Um, but I'd be interested in in, in your perspective, Michael, as, as you came in to uh, just just help guide us through that. What did you learn out of that for you? What what, what did you take away from that prayer summit? Because I know it was exhausting for you to facilitate that. It had to be uh, emotionally, spiritually, and, and physically exhausting. But uh, what maybe one or two nuggets that, that you took away that were meaningful to you from the summit.
3: Well, this may sound kind of strange, Michael, but, um, you know, I, I've been with you guys before the prayer summit. Right. And uh I guess the thing that that really struck me is you know there's there's a there's a story in the book of Ruth that that says that um that the house of bread, Bethlehem, was empty of bread mm-hmm. and uh so the family left left for Moab and uh, you know Naomi and her husband and two sons. And they all died in Moab. And as a matter of fact, it says they left for the Green Plains of Moab. It says country, but it's the Green Plains of Moab. And what struck me about the group, Michael, is that the pastors, including you and others, had stayed with the stuff at Bethlehem Mm. when there was no bread, Mm. when everything was going wrong, when it was all desert. And, you know, y'all stayed with it. Mm. And what struck me about that summit was, first of all, that God showed up because you all kept showing up, mm. I mean all, you know I just all I did is get out of the way, mm. you know and just because you were at the point, your group was at the point where you were ready for God to do what He did, mm. and I, you know and I just just let that happen, mm. so that's one of the thing that just constantly comes back to me is that if we'll keep showing up. Upside down, inside out, backside, mad, glad, sad, whatever. If we keep showing up, that's not hypocrisy. That's obedience. You know, but if I keep showing up, God is going to show up. And so that, that really, that affirmed to me as I watched you, uh, your, the group, the pastors. You know, I, I was telling the gentleman who was with me today that, that, that uh, there are no hard edges in the pastor's group. You're not critical, it's very safe, and I remember you telling me, Michael, it's not always been that way, right yeah right, but you all had to go through a time of brokenness mm-hmm. you know sure. of of death mm-hmm. of seeing this group fall to from what a hundred maybe eighty five to a hundred down to ten to fifteen sometimes mm-hmm. and stay with the stuff you know, and that to me was incredible uh, uh faithfulness, so that's one thing, the second thing is. I know this sounds kind of strange, but I bask in the maturity of the silence. If you'll remember, you know, there were times when there were minutes of silence. Yes. Just quietness. And one of the things that really has struck me that that it's God that speaks to us in those silences. Mm. And we don't have to fill it up with noise and you know, music or worship or doing stuff. But um now, I had two gentlemen from my church with me, and, and they kept remarking on the fact how y'all allowed it to be silent mm. when, you know, when there didn't seem to be any direction. And that takes a lot of trust in each other. Mm. And I could see in that group how y'all built trust in each other.
1: And You're right, Michael. That took uh, many, many years to yeah. get there. That just didn't happen overnight.
0: We've got more uh, time with Dr. Michael Wright right after this.
1: Deep needs, deep hurts spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge... Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus's command in Matthew 22:39 39 to love your neighbor as yourself the church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community advancing vibrant communities researches those needs then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs
3: the very first story that Mike told about ABC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I
2: realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective.
1: This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs and then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department.
0: Habitat and AVC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others.
1: AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. ABC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. Well, it works. And I, I, I believe that as in our companies, as being uh, formerly a businessman in, in, in Stanislaus County and, and uh, other counties in the state as, as, as well, that uh, our companies were only as, as successful as our weakest link and I believe that to be the same case in our communities and in our cities that we can only be as much as we're going to be based upon the capacity and the ability of others to participate at an increased level and quality of of life.
0: You know some of us can donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the
2: other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life.
1: we ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing vibrant communities, faith in action, pure, simple, proven effective, carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves.
2: Thank you.
0: And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Dr. Michael Wright. And, uh, Michael, I was just uh, thinking about you sharing your trip to Israel. I think we both visited this last year, and uh, you want to share a quick story about that trip with us?
3: Well, and what that was all about is that uh, through YWAM Youth with a Mission, yes. we were we were contacted uh, to go on a what is called a journey of understanding. Mm-hmm. So okay. I took uh, my son Stephen and three other people with me. To go to Israel and then to to uh, Bethlehem, Palestine, or what is called the West Bank. And what we w- we will tell people is that we weren't tourists; that we were there on a journey of understanding. And it's quite amazing as as we would hear stories, for example, from an Orthodox Jewish young lady, beautiful gal, who could not even open a refrigerator door on the Sabbath because the light would turn on. Mm. You know, and next to her was a was a was an atheistic Jewish gentleman who was very liberal, mm-hmm. and their are opposing views about the land. And what we discovered is, when you take away all the fluff, it has to do with the land. And, um, and the Palestinians believe, you know, that as in 1947-48, the Jews came in and took over the land. Uh, they, you know, uh, so there's a lot of lot of history about the land there. But, what is happening in this journey of understanding is that there 's a Bethlehem Bible college in Bethlehem that has a major ministry in reconciliation and it 's training young Palestinians and Israelis uh, in the area of reconciliation so um, what was what I think was very insightful to me is that is that there are people on both sides believers some of them may be what we call liberal or whatever, that really are working to bring uh, cessation to that that hatred and the hostility mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm.
0: So glad that you were able to make that trip. And just I'm going to be is.
3: taking pastors back with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, to, I'm asking five pastors to go with me. As a matter of fact, I may be talking to y'all to talk to some of our pastors in oh, the area I'd be happy to, to <laughs> contact. We'll be having scholarships available to go uh with with us it will not be three weeks it will be about about six days five or six days because of pastors' schedules Mm -hmm. but uh but why really is sees the need of having pastors to have a broader understanding than the the strong uh, pro-israeli stand that we take as evangelicals and bible believers and it it can be real disturbing because you, you began to hear you began to engage the lives of people on the quote the other side and you began to see uh the the the, the, the travesty of how the news media has has has, mm-hmm. s- has skewed the stories.
0: No kidding. We are so bumping the clock. Can we have you back again
1: sometime? <laughs> Anytime. we
3: would love to get the rest of that story. I, I huh? know, no
1: kidding. Oh. Michael, uh, how, can, uh, how can our people pray for you? As uh, and, and I mean, you, you've, you've taken a, a a very important call, but one that, that I'm sure takes its toll uh, in terms of, of warfare, and, and I'm sure the enemy is, is not real happy with what you do, which is great. Very quickly, how, how can our people pray for you?
3: Well, first of all, Michael, that uh, I stay in obscurity. I think it's mm-hmm. crucial. Mm-hmm. I think that I just stay in the background, the second thing, as you know, that that I, I've been involved to some extent in working with some of the the issues of reconciliation in the city of Modesto, and uh, with some of the pastors, and I will be continuing doing that. Amen. And um, uh, just that that um, I, you know, I stay authentic, stay open, stay available. Amen.
0: Dr. Michael Wright, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Just appreciate your time, dear listeners at home or wherever you may happen to be listening. We just appreciate you tuning in and listening, and hope that you'll tune again next time. Until then, may God continue to bless your lives. You reach out as you reach out, and love your neighbors as you love yourselves. Thanks for listening.